my name is Rajiv Nathan. This is Martin McGovern. We are the founders of Idea Lemon and hosts of the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast, a show where we sit down with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians and talk about important life questions and help us better understand who we are, what we're doing, how we can do it better, and build good personal brands. Um, this is a pretty cool live edition we're doing today with, in conjunction with Tech Week and For the Win. Uh, and our guest today is pro wrestler Cole Cabana. Thanks for the delayed applause. <laughs> cool. Uh, before we get started, I'm just gonna do like a cheap plug real quick. Uh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna pass around my computer, so I'm gonna hope you guys don't steal it. Uh, if you guys want to throw your name and email on this, we'll keep you in touch with future podcast episodes and we share some cool stories as well. Uh, there's a few of you guys who are subscribed to our stuff who are in the audience today. I think you can attest to everyone else that we send cool stuff out. So. Uh, send this around again, try not to steal it. I'd appreciate that. So what we're talking about today uh, in this special live episode with Colt is something uh, that I think speaks to the tech community really well, and that's uh, answering and exploring the question, how do you find your niche? Um, who here is thinking of starting a company? Handful of you. Who here works at a startup or a tech-based company? All right, any more of you. Um, who here is trying to like do a project of their own in some capacity? All right, and we'll do as well. Cool. So uh, with any of that stuff, what's important is having a niche in what you're doing. Because um, it can't be everything to everyone. And if you are, then you're not going to do very well, most likely. Um, so the way our podcast works, as a heads up, is we just, we're just going to have a conversation for the next you know, 30, 40 minutes. Um, we'll open up some Q&A towards the end so you guys can get involved as well. Uh, but to kick things off, Colt, uh, you have been a professional wrestler for about 17 years now, right? Yep. So, in your time, what you've really found as your niche or your home base is being a comedy wrestler. And I'm, I'm imagining, like, on day one, you weren't like, I'm going to be a comedy wrestler. So, how did that come about? Also, I, for 17 years, I've been saying the, the word niche incorrectly. <laughs> uh, it's not niche. <laughs> no, well, I used to say niche, but someone told me about it. round of applause. Is it niche? Is it niche? My round of applause. Who has hands here? <laughs> Two of us. <laughs> All right, we'll get them. We'll get them. I'm excited it's, it's about niche. this. It is a niche. Uh, language is not my expertise. It's professional wrestling. Um, yeah, no, what I do now after yeah, 17 going on 18 years of professional wrestling is I'm a comedy wrestler and uh, it took me a while to figure that out. Um, yeah, I started off as a regular, just uh, I was an ex-football player who always wanted to be a professional wrestler. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I didn't know where the future would take me. I never envisioned this life of being, uh, you know, at one point a WWE wrestler and then to become like a globe-trotting wrestler and wrestle all over the world. Like all I ever wanted to do was just wrestle. And like to me, that would be success. It was, it was interesting where, you know, different goals came along the way. You know, you, you start out, you go to a training center and you're paying these guys $2,000 to teach you the secrets of professional wrestling. And they beat the living shit out of you for two days, you know, two days, uh, two hours. Uh, for four days a week, for you know four months, and then you know the first goal is I want to just be in a match. The second goal is I want to be able to uh, travel. You know, the third goal is I want to maybe win a match. You know, and um, and it's just these little goals along the way to uh, eventually I got good enough to be like 
to realize what I was doing was, was, was more than sport, it was art, and there was, uh, there was a lot of art into it, and uh, I can express myself the way I wanted to express myself, and I had an open canvas, I could do whatever. Literally a canvas. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I could, yeah, I could paint, you know, if I wanted to, I could paint on, you know, whatever I wanted to do, and um, it took me years to figure out that the best bet for me was to, uh, to splice in comedy in the world of wrestling, and then it took me years after that to kind of figure out how to do it and how to do it well. And then, you know, years later, you know, if you, when you follow the trajectory of the career, you know, it, it went from doing it in the ring, you know, uh, from little shows into doing it on YouTube and doing it with podcasting and doing it in documentaries and, and jumping into the comedy world and being in the comedy podcast and doing comedy shows, uh, all while keeping the vibe of professional wrestling in context, knowing that's what I am at the at the heart of it as a professional wrestler. Yeah, and, and as I kind of look at all the things you've done, I, I notice you didn't wait for permission from people in order to jump into things. So you're like, oh, there's the comedy scene and the wrestling scene, I'm going to merge them. There's podcasts, I'm going to go jump and do that. You didn't wait around for someone to say, here's the new technology, here's the new uh, way of promoting yourself, go do it. You were just like, no, I'm going to seize it and go. How did you kind of see those things and, and react? Well, there was two halves of my career, really. There was the first eight years where I was uh, I was just learning how to wrestle, learning my craft, and hoping one day the WWE would see me, would pluck me out uh, and give me a million dollars to become a wrestler. <laughs> you know, like, I thought that's how it worked. You, you go on the road, you wrestle on these little shows for 10, 20 bucks, sometimes a hot dog and a handshake is what you get paid, but knowing at the end of the rainbow that Vince McMahon will see you and make you a WrestleMania superstar. And that was the first half of uh, my career. And then I, I had two very awful years with the WWE, where I was known as the worst wrestler in WWE history. Thank you very much. Um, and after that, I got fired by the WWE. And that's when it kind of, a lot of it hit me. And I had my, my wake-up moment. And I think a lot of people, uh, you know, you need that in your career or in your life to just, you need that moment of eating shit, of being down. Like, you can only go up uh, if you're down. And so after that was, it wasn't about getting to the WWE, it was how, how can I sustain myself as a professional wrestler, how can I make a living, how can I go forward knowing it's not about getting to the WWE, it's just about, you know, at this point it's about building that brand or building Colt Cabana and, and the idea of, I didn't want, I, I went somewhere where someone could just fire me at any minute and that was, you know, WWE, they could just fire me. And I want it to be at the point where whatever I did, like I, my, like I myself is the only one who can say like you can or can't not do that. And so that's where I realized what I like. Uh, and I only, like in my career, I only do stuff that I like, that I think I would like as a consumer of professional wrestling or comedy. And at that time, like I was just a big comedy fan, a big comedy nerd. And the point wasn't to steal what they were doing, but it was to be inspired by them. And podcasts were just kind of kicking off. And you know, and, and there's just so many other aspects that I thought the wrestling world and the comedy world intertwined. And um, so that's kind of what it was. It was, what do I like? And then I'm going to do that for, pe for people in the wrestling world. Because there wasn't a lot of that going on in the wrestling world at that time. Yeah, and that's huge. Like, the fact that you saw, like, what do you like in comedy? How can you apply that to wrestling? And that applies to, like, you know, so much more than just wrestling and comedy. And when we're talking about finding your niche. Like, niche. <laughs> Talk about finding niche. Your niche. <laughs> um, you know, when it comes to just exploring something you want to do or your own career path, whatever that might be, just because you have seen it as one way before does not mean that is the only way that it can be done ever. Um, 
and I think this is like, I think this is where I see a lot of creativity getting killed uh, for people who are teenagers, going into college, that kind of stuff. It's like, well, I'll never make it as an actor, so why even try acting in general? Do you think, like, I see it now, it's like, oh, anyone can be an actor. You put on your, your, like, that's kind of how I saw it, and I'm not battling you. Like this, <laughs> no, but it's like, battle! <laughs> 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 <Got a> promo. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, I think Bo Burnham's, like, a great example. It's just like, he turned on that, you know, he just turned on his uh, iPhone and filmed it, and there was a, an audience there, so it's almost like, God, I think it's less of like, you can't be creative, it's more of, you know, there's just a lot more creative types out there, and it's, and that's, you know, and, and saying finding your niche is like almost finding your audience, it's just like, there's just a lot you have to weave through now, like years ago, if you were on television, there was 20 shows, and if you were number one out of 20, you know, then you, like, that's when you boomed, but now there's, you know, 10,000 shows or whatever it might be, it's just about weaving your way through all the crap, I guess, and uh, it's, it's only, it, in that sense, it might be a little bit harder, um, but the outlet is there for anyone, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm kind of curious, because you just mentioned uh, Bo Burnham, and his whole, his brand new special that just came out on Netflix was all about honesty and performance, and how his whole show is dishonest in, in the performance aspect. So he's like, every other comedian is just like up there saying, last week I like crap myself, and he's like, no, it's a performance. And he's playing with the idea of performance. And a lot of what we teach with just like personal branding in our own lives is like be authentic, be 100% yourself. But then there's also the flip side of it, which is if you're going to go create a performance, create a character, there's a different element to it. It might still be authentically you, but it's a heightened reality or it's, it's you in a certain uh, light. And I'm kind of curious how like you kind of played with that and crafted that yourself. Well, that is professional wrestling, really. It's, it's really one or the other. It's, it's either, you know, uh, the ultimate warrior who we know isn't, you know, they got for, that was just, I'm trying to relate to anyone, like, <laughs> or the Undertaker, if anyone knows that name, it's like, he's not really a dead person, right? You know, it's, he's what? like, uh, sorry, it's <laughs> he's, a, he's a full-fledged character. And then there are people, maybe like an example would be a guy like Ric Flair, who is completely just a, a heightened um, of his personality. Or The Rock, even. Or The Rock, yeah. And that's something I've had to deal with a lot. And a lot of it was when I started my podcast, um, was the idea of I needed an outlet to, I, I felt I had a good, uh, I, I had a voice, I had a, an artistic idea, I wanted to get out there, nobody was giving me anywhere a platform to do it. Um, and, you know, like WWE, and then I went and tried to get with these other promotions, and I, at one point it was just like, no one will give me a platform. And I didn't want to quit wrestling, because I loved wrestling, and I thought I had an audience, and it was about finding my audience. And the, and the podcast was really the first thing that really allowed me to find my audience. And I got a good, I got a good number of people that, um, that came and listened to it originally, cause just because they had heard my name and I was within the industry. But I think a lot of people stayed because uh, they had never heard wrestler, a wrestler and wrestlers speak the truth kind of the way I did with my friends, where it was very important to me is where I've been wrestling for, you know, at that point for 12 or 13 years when I started the podcast. And, um, you know, we had all, we'd always shared these weird stories in the locker room and they were always just in the locker room and they never kind of made their way out. They were just, you know, some of these wrestlers that were characters, nobody saw the behind the scenes of what these people were like, great, genuine people who all had one main thing is that they, they entered this crazy world with this passion and, and not a lot of people knew about it because it was such a secure industry, professional wrestling. You know, you don't want to get anything out there. That's kind of how, how it's always worked. And so, uh, yeah, so my podcast was, was a lot about honesty and 
not becoming this different character. It was almost like, um, and I know, like, I, I wanted them to know I wasn't larger than life. I wanted the fans to know, the people to know, like, I'm not larger than life. I'm a person who spent a lot of time, just like you, you know, putting uh, a lot of love and hours and man hours and sweat into a craft that I love and I'm an artist, will you support me? And like, yes, I'm good at my job because I'm just, like, that's why you'll cheer for me or that's why you'll like me because I am good at my job because I spend so much time doing it. But at the end of the day, I'm just a normal person just like you. And I think that, not that that hasn't been done before, but, you know, maybe in this new era, uh, it's just not something that in wrestling wasn't really, it was all about like, we need bigger stars, we need Batistas and, and Muscles and uh, Blaine, you know, and um, my point of view was, no, like, I'm just a dude, I'm an artist, I'm trying to get, this is my love, and uh, it's just who I am, and here, here's my voice in my real world, in my real world. So it wasn't about, you know, heightening anything, it was just kind of being me, and, and, and it seemed to really catch. Yeah, and I think as we kind of go out and like think about, um, there really is no curtain anymore in anyone's life because yeah. of because of Facebook, because of Instagram, because of Pinterest. You can you can sort of play with the curtain and stuff. Would you say Pinterest is one of the things that is? <laughs> Did I say Pinterest? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not a Pinterest. I'm, I'm planning a wedding. Yeah. No. Um, I was just at a wedding yesterday. Anyway, but. Um, this, because our reality and everything is so exposed now, it almost seems like you have to play both sides. You can't just have a front, because people will then try and find out behind it. That's what like celebrity gossip is, right? And so it's almost like you use your your authentic self to uh, let people know that there is this like real person here, and then you heighten it to a point where you can still be larger than life in in a moment. Uh, so when you get in the ring, like larger than life, but then like outside the ring, people can still have a conversation with you. I, I think it's larger than life because people appreciate what, that you're good at something. And so it's almost, you know, whatever uh, anyone is doing, it doesn't just apply to professional wrestling, it applies to everything. And I also think it's great that uh, everybody is exposed because in my heart, I know I'm not a piece of shit. And a lot of people are pieces of shit. And finally, they're exposed for who they are through, you know, Facebook and Twitter or whatever it is. And it's like, if you have a good, you know, I think we as a society want to see good for good people. Um, and I, I guess I won't make this a political thing, so I won't. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, it's just, if you're a good person, uh, that, that can finally, you know, in the 60s and, you know, I'm just looking at all the Cosby stuff that's coming on. It's just like gross, you know, and it's almost like good that now we have this kind of stuff where people can see exactly who they are. Thank, thank God, Pinterest allowed us to be the man. Pinterest, yes. <laughs> um, I want to go back to what you were saying a few minutes ago, which is the idea that you just kind of like created your own platform. I think I'm going to get around the exact words you said, but you were like, I could be fired at any moment. I could be let go at any moment. And that happened with WWE. And I think that's so important with any career you have is the fact that, yeah, like there is no such thing as job security, even in what it might traditionally be a secure company or a secure industry. So if that's the case, then it's on you to create something yourself. It doesn't have to be a business, it could be a podcast, it could be you know meetups you throw or whatever that might be. But if you're not looking out for yourself, then that cord can be pulled out, or, you know, like you can it's like Showtime at the Apollo, like they can they can bring that can out and just pull you pull you up from your feet. It was the first time I ever like I always thought it was just wrestling. And it was when after that happened, it was the first time I realized and I'd like talked to my real life friends like outside of wrestling that like 
oh yeah, nobody's secure in anything. <laughs> and this happens in every walk of life. And it was a real wake-up call, like, because I was kind of in my own little bubble and thinking, that, well, this is just a wrestling thing. And I thought to myself, like, after I got fired, I was like, oh, maybe I'll, you know, I'll go on monster.com because I have a business degree. And I was like, maybe I'll get a real job. And I realized it's the same shit. Like, it's just, it's so shitty out there in the real world. And in this world, it's awful. With all all those muddles. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it, there's something so powerful about just, um, about, you know, doing, kind of doing it yourself. And so, you know, I, I'm known as a, a real a DIY warrior in the world of wrestling, but um, it, it that wasn't my wrestling name, the DIY warrior. Yeah, it could be that one. Um, but yeah, the ultimate warrior versus is the DIY warrior. Yeah. Big match. We'll sell out Tech Week next year. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll find it on Pinterest. <laughs> and even with that, too, kind of going back to, I guess what I should have corrected was I was saying before about like, you don't have to like just make it as a professional actor. You were saying it's not like that anymore. You're right, it's not like that anymore. The old school way of thinking is that, and because the technology and the tools weren't there, is that you either become the best of the best or you just are nothing. But now, like, there are, you know, there are YouTube stars who are 13 years old. Uh, there are these tools available to just do the thing you want to do and then build the audience around that. And you don't find your niche unless you take that step forward to actually build that thing or start that thing because you can think in your head forever about what you could do or what you want to do. But there's no one who's also in your head who's like, yeah, I'm on board with that idea you haven't done yet. That's why you just put it out there and then you start to see who gravitates towards that. And then you see what do they want and you respond to that. Um, like with your show, uh, and I'll tell you, with our show, even we're like 55 episodes in at this point, we do it a little bit over a year. Um, it took, and I, I, I do the voiceover on our show intro. Oh, I can tell. <laughs> and it took me like 43 episodes to finally get an introduction that I actually liked and that I use, I'm using consistently since then. And I'm sure with your show, like your 500s, or 300 or 500? 300. 300, 300 yeah. A little over, uh, almost six years in July. And if you go back and listen to episode one or two, like, yeah. it's way different than what it is right now, right? Yeah, it's the worst. <laughs> I refuse to listen to my show. <laughs> and which, which, which the archives are now available on Howl.fm. Yeah. Use the offer code COLE. Get a free month. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's kind of the point, though. It's like, unless you start putting it out there, you don't find what, like, and you, you can plan for hours, days, weeks, months, years to be like, it's, at that point, it'll be perfect, but it's not perfect or ever perfect, really. It's not even going to be at any point good enough or close to that unless you just put something out there and then see who starts to gravitate towards that. And then you look at what, what are they saying about it, like like in a podcast, for example. You look at what are people saying in the reviews. What do they like about the show? Can I add more of that? You talk to people who consume your product. What do they like about it? What do they dislike? And you start to tweak as you see fit. It's a real fine line uh, of like who you listen to and who you don't, though. Especially, you know, as an artist, it's just like when someone, you know, a lot of people are just telling, you know, you can tell me and my friends, whoever, just how awful we are. And sometimes it's just like, you know, that's trolling. And then, you know, like, especially for my podcast, like, there's a lot of people who'd be like, do this. And I'd be like, oh, fuck off. I'm just doing it the way I want to do. And someone's like, you should use this. And then, like, I would realize, like, two years later, I was like, oh, I should have used that. <laughs> like, I should have used that level later or, you know, that compressor for my podcast because there's people who are reaching out and want you to have, like, success. And uh, that's a weird line to find out, like, who you kind of ignore and who you push away and, and, and who you do uh, engage with. 
Yeah, and I think it, it also is about staying open to wherever those things take you to. Because I think you, you originally had one big goal that you were going for, right? But it's like, you didn't know how FM was going to be a thing that you'd be on at some point. You didn't know that um, you're in video games, right? Like, that's a channel that maybe didn't exist uh, when you first started getting into wrestling, that now it's like, oh, I can go explore that. And, um, and I think all of these things, it, especially in technology, as we're all sitting here thinking about VR and stuff like that, like, technology changes every 18 months, so what you learn today is going to be irrelevant soon. And we just, there is no kind of end point where it's like, oh, now I'm successful, now I'm doing the thing. It's always just like, well, that's going to be around for about 16 months, and then I have to jump onto the next trend and the next trend, and I think Gary Vee is really cool that, like, yes. constantly always being like, I'm not married to any one technology, any one platform, anything. I'm just constantly trying to find the next place to put myself, because it's going, if you put, if, if you make Facebook your entire world and they change the algorithm, you're screwed. Is Gary Vee married? Yes. Well, then he is married to someone. And a real human. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like I remember like being like an early adopter. I was, I was an early, very early adopter, obviously, for podcasting. And uh, I was an early adopter to Periscope. And then, well, you're going to get this for a second. Is that, oh, is that actually broadcasting it? We, we tried to Periscope this. And then I was like, really soon, I was like, I think I got my bill for like, because I was Periscoping in Germany, my match. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to do this again. Because <laughs> $1,000 later to Periscope my match. So, yeah, I just, it's weird to be like, because I am like that. Like, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all in on this, like, Twitter, Instagram. And, like, um, yeah, I, I'm almost afraid to sometimes jump into something, say I'm all in, and then, like, quietly back off of it if I don't like it. Yeah, but even with that, it's like, it's not like you have to be on every single thing and be on it all the time. It is... You know, like there's, oh, well, there's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, <laughs> Periscope, Blab, even. Blab. Like Shaley, I know you use Blab a lot. Um, there's all these different channels, and it's like it can be super overwhelming because there are so many. But if you just pick like one or a couple, and you're just like, I'm just gonna focus on these and get good at these, you don't have to worry about missing out on you know the extra followers and the other thing. I feel like uh, I'm not on the Snap uh, Snapchat train, and I should be. And uh... I don't. I mean, I have it. I don't use. I, what I don't understand about Snapchat, like raise your hand if you use Snapchat. Like so most of you are at least yeah, happy. We are. <laughs> <laughs> what I don't understand about Snapchat is why do people think that things that were not interesting prior to Snapchat are now all of a sudden interesting because it's on Snapchat? Like, I don't need a photo of you brushing your teeth. It wasn't interesting before Snapchat. I don't think it's interesting now. And you'll be at the Laugh Factory tonight at 10 o'clock <laughs> doing your bit on Snapchat. <laughs> well, that's the Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then also looking into just the idea of, again, we're talking about finding a niche and everything, whether it's with a company or with your own personal brand or the endeavors you want to pursue, this idea, I think there's not enough emphasis placed on find two things you like or, multi, or a series of things you like and try and combine them in some way. Uh, you tried stand-up comedy, didn't you? You found it wasn't for you? Yes, I did try, but through that, you know, I trained uh, improv and I really, there, I didn't really... I wasn't in love with the idea of just stage improv. I tried stand-up, and I liked stand-up a little bit, and I found, which is kind of funny, like I found the culmination of like almost everything, and now I do this stage show with my friend Marty DeRosa, where we watch really bad wrestling, and we kind of make jokes over it. And uh, we've toured this all over the world, and I do it every year at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland, every August. And so it's like, uh, it was about finding 
what works for me essentially. And, and in the comedy world, you know, it was like not not ditching wrestling, keeping wrestling as a as a part of it, and then finding this thing that like is better. Accentuates right my positives uh, and gets rid of rid of the negatives, and that was kind of the stage show that we found when we started doing. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of the point. It's like it didn't have to be the just because you didn't you know stand up didn't work out for you didn't like it or even stage improv. It's like you take what you learn from there and how do you apply it to the things you enjoy? Wrestling. Well, there's, as a physical wrestler, then there's doing commentary over bad wrestling videos, and just like you take the nuggets of what you learn from multiple places and bring it into you know one thing that you want to do. Uh, and it's also not like it's not quitting. You're not right. you're not a quitter. Exactly. You know, if you if it's not for you, um, you know, it's it's no, it's finding out what you like, and what you don't. Yeah, and like you know, I'm wearing the shirt I'm wearing is, is a Hamilton shirt, gifted to me by you, Martin. Found out on Pinterest. I think that's like the, probably the most successful modern day case of just taking a few different interests and merging them into one thing. You've got everyone's familiar with the Hamilton musical. Yeah. No head nods or hands. head nods or hand raises. There's no hands in this. <laughs> so you've got the Hamilton musical, which is you know just shattering all Broadway box office records and becoming more and more popular every day. And that was something Lin Manuel Miranda, the creator, he's like, I'm into musicals, but like he's not a great singer himself. And he's like, but I really like rap, and he's a really good rapper. So he combines rap with musicals, and then he finds. This biography, he reads the book on Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, and he's like, this is amazing, i got to create a play about this. So he takes the fact that he's skilled in you know, musicals and hip-hop, and then he finds a trigger in the biography, and he makes the musical where he's combining U.S. history with hip-hop with traditional Broadway. And what does that do? It like basically three X's at, at, at least the impact that he has and the amount of attraction he gets. Because he, he successfully gotten the audience of people who like U.S. history, he successfully gotten the audience of people who like hip-hop, and he successfully gotten the audience of people who like traditional musicals. And then if you are someone like me who likes all three of those, you just lose your mind. And you get these like ultimate advocates who, uh, are, who back and promote and support what you do. Uh, this week we, we did a show called Wrestlepalooza First Wrestling. And uh, these shows are starting to pop up a lot, though this is in Minneapolis, Des Moines and Minneapolis, and one of Minneapolis had about a thousand plus people who sold out, and it was a mixture of uh, stand-up, pro wrestling, um, punk rock music, and burlesque dancing. And it's just this crazy variety show. And like, I wrestle for a company called Lucha Baboom in Los Angeles, too, and they've been doing it for about 12 years, and they'll run eight shows a year, sell out 2,500 people at the Mayan in Los Angeles. And um, it's crazy how like people are, it's really like the fusion of everything. Uh, they, they, you know, like the, the, the standard wrestling show has been getting boring for some people, but there was an audience who liked a little punk twang in that, and um, and that's what these shows have kind of seemed to find their niche, if you will. Yeah, and I think what's really cool with all these things is when you just keep bringing every one of your interests to the table, you can you, you'll never get pigeonholed and you'll never get stuck in, in one thing forever, right? And and I think the cool part about being able to say, all right, well, I like comedy, I like wrestling, I like this, maybe tomorrow I'll find something else that I really enjoy and I can, I can introduce that. Like, who knows, VR in a wrestling intro, uh, walking out loud would be probably pretty cool. So like now you're bringing other technologies in and it allows you to keep doing this forever. You, you don't ever just say like, this is how things are done, I'm gonna do it this way, if it's successful, great. If it's not, I'm done. And like, you can kind of be like, you know, 
with every new flow, it, it, there's no end point. Yeah, and a lot, you know, I'm 36 now and everyone just assumes, like, my parents figured I'd be done wrestling, they're like, what are you going to do next with your life? And everyone asks you, well, what are you going to do in five years, you know, when you can't move? And it's like, I can do this forever, I feel. I, you know, I, I feel it the way I wrestle, I can, I can still be wrestling in my 50s. Then after that, there's just all these other revenue streams of, like, with the thing, with wrestling that we've sorted out that, like, will keep me in wrestling. And, and who knows what, right, who knows what, who knows what will be next, technology-wise, that will, you know, allow me to stay in the game, you know, when I, when I can't even be in the ring. But now it's only, I'm going to set myself up where, and a lot of people told me, I don't even have to wrestle anymore, just, you know, like, through the ventures of, of all the, the podcasts and the documentaries, and, you know, we put out, a, I have a pro wrestling uh, t-shirt company that we made, and it's just like, are you wearing a shirt jacket right, right now? <laughs> ProWrestlingTees.com, go there if you want a wrestling shirt, I can tell. Each and every single one of you would love a wrestling t-shirt right about now, but uh, that option's there for you. You guys are a tough audience. Damn, now they are. Can we just like laugh like just, yeah, ah, yeah. There we go. I don't think the, I don't think forcing them to laugh is the way that's good. We'll get you. Yeah, and kind of what you've been able to do is find ways to just stand on your own two feet at all times, right? Like if, if heaven forbid you had like a crazy injury and you couldn't wrestle anymore, your your career is not done. Well, that was the big thing. And to go back to the WWE is like I had all my eggs in one single basket, and that basket was the WWE. And to go it with nobody firing me was another thing. When I came out of it, was to realize that I needed more than one basket, and I had to diversify my eggs and my baskets. So that's why, like, I'm always with different projects and different things, knowing that if tomorrow iTunes decides they don't want to have a podcasting platform and they get rid of the podcast, you know, uh, you know, idea, that I'm, I'm not fucked, you know, or, or the t-shirts or merchandise, or even if I can't wrestle, if I break my leg, that, I, you know, I'm still able to make a living and I'm able to eat. Yeah, and I think one of the pieces that we're talking about here is having an audience and having um, a connection with them in in all sorts of different ways so that, you know, if one communication channel goes down, you can still keep in touch with these people and learn from them and incorporate their ideas into what you're trying to create as well. And so, kind of curious how, you know, having started this podcast and in the years that you've been wrestling, how has the interaction with the audience changed from where you started to the new technologies? Well, I, you know, I, it's kind of like... The, the, the podcast really started, not really, but like one of the main things was I had this documentary that I put out, The Wrestling Road Diaries, and I knew it was coming out, and I knew I needed a platform to tell everybody about it. And, you know, you're hoping that your industry will be like, oh, Cole Cabana's new DVD is out and you can buy it, but that's not necessarily the, the, the truth of the matter. And so I knew that when these guys are wrestling on, on Monday night, every single night on USA Network, whatever it be on Raw, it's always a commercial. Every Monday night, these people are always on television. They're always in the ethos. And then when they get fired, uh, you never know. You kind of you never hear from these guys anymore. You know, everyone's always like, "Whatever happened to, to this guy?" I remember there's a, a real popular wrestler named Christian, um, and a real popular religion also. <laughs> 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 Religion jokes. Yeah. And he was in the WWE, and then he went to another TV show on Spike called TNA. And one of the main reasons he went back to the WWE is because he got tired of everyone asking why he retired from wrestling. So it's a real big stigma of like that's only where wrestlers are. And so uh, yeah, so like 
I knew I needed the same idea of like a commercial. Like that's what Raw is. It's a commercial for these wrestlers to get them out there to buy their t-shirts, to buy the DVDs, to buy the pay-per-views, to go to the arenas to watch them wrestle. And uh, I didn't have that. And I, I remember before that, it was just like, the way you told somebody you had a new t-shirt was like MySpace, you know, you put out, you put out, and then, but like then that would get lost in the feed, you know, it was just like you needed, that was the, like nowadays there's the idea that we all can have this place where we can say, um, we have, we can have our own commercial or we can say what's for sale or what we're selling. And with that, as I've realized how important, um, like being good at Twitter, being good at Instagram is because Again, I do things that I only would want for myself. So I, if you're on Twitter and you're posting every hour, even if it's hilarious, I'm not going to follow you. And then I'm not going to know when your cool thing is out. So there's like such a like, even though I don't look at it, there's such a psychology to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram of, of you know, for me, it's like a funny post, a funny video. Like, I, you know, there's, there's nothing behind this. To, like, there's, if I post something, it's, it's not... My goal isn't to get you to buy something right now. Like my goal is to get you on board. Like I'm here's this free fun content because I want you to be on board. I'm going to give you free fun content for uh, for a week, for two weeks, for two years. Like you know, I, I'm going to give you this free podcast and with nothing behind it except enjoy this free fun content. Then it's kind of not like to say something, but like now you're you're on board with that person. And then when I say here's my my DVD, then they'll be like, oh, I'm in. I'm going to buy that. Uh, and I think. You know, this is just my opinion, is a lot of people don't have that mentality, and for me as a consumer to them, I'm not in, because I can just see through them just trying to shill me something with no connection. Like I, and I'm very, like as a, as a Jewish member of society, <laughs> I'm very frugal, you know? So like, I don't spend a lot of money, I try to save all my money, and uh, all of it just <laughs> it's a stereotype, but it's the truth, you know. But there's people that like there's comedians that I will follow and that I will love and I will know their story. And this goes with all walks of life for any, even for companies. It's like I know their story and I love their story. And then I know when they're selling a, a shirt or a DVD or something, and, and they get that out through their means. I'm only knowing that because I love I love them as a consumer. So I'm following their, their ways of communication. And then also I'm going to pay the money because I know that that's supporting them and that's some, you know, multi-evil corporation. I'm not saying all corporations are evil, but like in my head when I think like WWE, it's like I don't want to give them any money. That's like an evil corporation to, in my mind. So like it's about, and like, you know, the more successful I can get, the, and I've seen this, like the more people will think like, oh, well, Colt's like a corporation now, you know? And it's about, to me, it's about like, uh, having a real humility there and like like saying like no I'm a normal person like I'm just working really hard and trying to get you guys to support this thing that I'm doing and so uh, that kind of goes on terms of the communication aspect now I think yeah I think you hit on storytelling which is the biggest thing that we don't think about as we're trying to figure out our niche we're like ooh who can I what, what audience can I tap into is, is the lingo that's being used and it's like no it's what, what people are drawn to the story that I want to tell throughout my life, and how can I invite them to come along with me for this story? What do I have to say? Find out what you have. I say that to a lot, I do a lot of wrestling seminars, and I'll train a lot of wrestlers, and I'll be like, you have to find what you have to say in this world. Like, who are you and what are you? And then people will be attracted to you. It's not, you know, it's not just about winning your match and then going and trying to sell all the t-shirts you can. It's about, uh, it's about finding out who you are as an artist. 
Yeah, and that's where uh, that's where I, that's where I find the world of pro wrestling fascinating. Is you know, for most of you in this room who are not necessarily pro wrestling fans, uh, it's not just you wrestle the match and you leave, and, and everyone's like, oh, but it's fake, right? And it's like, okay, yes, we know it's a show, it's a performance, but it's more than just can you physically do this. It is what like every wrestler is their own personal brand, and what brand are they building, and. There's this term in the wrestling world known as getting over with the fans, which is basically the, the point at which the fans accept you and start cheering for you. And you'll see a lot of wrestlers struggle to get over with the fans because they don't know their own voice, uh, they're trying to you know, play too many roles almost under one character, and the reaction they get is indifference. And in, in, in the wrestling world, I think even in, in just the normal world besides that, there's no, there's no connection. Right. Without that connection, if the reaction to what you're doing is indifference, that's a bad thing. Like you, like, I'd rather have people boo the shit out of the things that I do than just, than just be <laughs> totally indifferent to them. Because at least, and this is, uh, I'm going to steal the quote that you had back a few months ago, which was the idea that was like... You have the mic. <laughs> Martin was saying uh, a few months back, he's like, Negativity or indifference is worse than negativity because negativity will either crush someone or force them to go in the opposite direction. But indifference is going to crush someone no matter what. And if the things you're doing, if, if you're not actively promoting what you're doing or, or being your own mouthpiece or finding ways to put your stuff in front of other people, the reaction you're going to get is indifference. And that, that's what puts you in that just like, you know, bobbing in the water but not necessarily going up or going down. I think as long as it's morally correct. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah, yeah. Unless you're not a piece of shit. Yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. you want to be authentic with it and everything. If you're a piece of shit, turn off the radio, yeah. stop listening. <laughs> but, but that's the idea, right? And, and that's where I think in the wrestling world it's like, you'll find a lot of these people who just, they don't ever hit, like physically, like they're, they're very talented, but they just can't get, you know, whatever character they're trying to mold or create, they just can't seem to find that combination of, I have the physical talent and I know how to connect with the fans. Yeah, I, I, I think stories is a great way to put it too. I think um, I realized I had a good story. You know, I, I, like I, I knew that there was a story there. I knew I could. Uh, there was a connection to be made. I just needed to get it out there. So, and I think too, there, there's. I think there's a lot right now in in everyone's lives. Just the idea of like you saw someone do it this way, therefore you feel like it has to be done that way too. But that's not the case at all. It's like I think I think there's a lot of culture being breeded right now around sameness. I mean, there is a lot of uniqueness going on as well, but there's a lot of, and then this is like a mindset we subscribe to for a while, which is like, uh, it's most prevalent amongst uh, quote unquote like online entrepreneurs or internet marketers who they learn something themselves and then they create a course on it. And then they learn another thing and then they create a course on it. And, yeah, and then like the course is designed to build more people like them. And it's, it's, it creates this culture of sameness instead of, and you're like, oh, it worked for him, and like sample size is one. That's what college is. What, what do you mean by that? Like that's a traditional, traditional school teaches you to just fit a mold, um, whereas uh, what we're kind of getting at is, all right, definitely go to school, learn things, like be smart, but then on top of all that, you have to figure out who you are and how you're going to stand out after the fact. So like, if you're just taught all the wrestling moves, but you never actually figure out what your story is, it's, it's a wall, right? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I always tell people, I went, you know, people know me in the wrestling world as like one of the good businessmen, 
And uh, I, I went to college and I have a business degree, and uh, everyone always assumes it's because I have a bachelor's in business, but it's, uh, everything I learned was from the road, like everything, and, and I almost regret going to college a little bit, but, uh, uh, you know, what I learned was, was trial and error, it was going out there in the real world and, and real life experiences, and also watching uh, the people before me and, the, and having respect for the people before me, even if they're doing it incorrectly, watching how they act, how, how they, you know, people have experience in the, in the workplace, how they do it, you know, and, and if I see something wrong, I'll know what not to do. And uh, that, a lot of that was I, either I was under the learning tree or I was looking from afar, but I wasn't ignorant to it. I wasn't ignoring it. I wasn't, um, you know, like, I was blazing my own trail, but I, I knew to have respect for the ones who came before me in the industry. And, um, and, and I think that's where kind of, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's a lot of just trial and error on the road, getting it done, jumping in. Uh, feet first, because I think you said before, if you're just if you if it stays in your head or if it stays in your mind and you don't go do it, it just doesn't get done. Yeah, and I think we're we're talking a lot about kind of being on the creation side, but also I'm kind of curious on the consumption side uh, for each of us. Um, being you said looking up to people that came before you, right? Mm -hmm. It's like so we were all we're all consumers and hopefully creators, um, and so being aware of both sides of it. Um, one of the things that got me into marketing in the first place um, back in college was realizing that I was so heavily influenced by commercials and I just wanted to figure out why. I was like, how come I'm sitting here like watching this toy commercial and then my brothers and I are fighting over who's going to go get that for Christmas? And it, it really was just like, now I realize that's behavioral psychology, that's what I'm interested in. But at the time it was just like, I need to understand how this is influencing me so much. And I'm kind of curious, what were the things that maybe influenced you the most? And, Kind of legendary. I, I, it was, I mean, just in wrestling, it was, I, I, I guess, maybe you need to help me sharpen out the question a little bit. Like specifically, people. I mean, it was watching, well, a lot of it was watching wrestlers who were in their late 20s to mid 30s who were complaining that soon their career will be done and they'll have no more money and they'll, they'll go have to be, uh, you know, go be a, a greeter at Walmart. Not that that's a, a bad thing. But in my mind, it's like you put 15, 20 years into this grueling industry where you beat up your body. You should be able to, you know, to retire for the, with the fruits of your labor. So a lot of me, I was pushed by the idea of um, that, because it was just like, you, and especially those guys, that, like if I think about my heroes in the WWF, guys like, you know, like Don Morocco or Paul Arndorf or, or Bob Arndorf, like they weren't in the WWF that long, just like during my childhood, and like, you know, it was like four years. So like, and they weren't making $3 million, so they, they're not sitting on $12 million, even if it was, and that, that life, they all blew it anyway. So like, a lot of the stories of just the, the ones before me, not, you know, blowing their money, thinking it would last forever, it, I always realized that like this money won't last forever, this career won't last forever, I'll probably be done in four years, like not by choice, and that's like drove me and crazy, you know, like crazy enough, like I've had, you know, since I guess being on the WWE seven years, I, you know, I had these really big boom years in the first couple of years when I started everything. And in the back of my head, you know, maybe this is the wrong way to think, but I was just like, well, this isn't going to last forever, you know? And it's still, I mean, and like, especially like getting booked or people, you know, putting me on their shows, and it's still going. And like, I still, I'm wowed by it. I can't believe it. And there's always in the back of my head, well, like, this will end soon. And uh, it hasn't happened, and, you know, almost 17 years later it still hasn't happened. And there's a lot of people before me that didn't save their money 
and that was the ones I learned from how almost how not to do it. Well, and you, you said like perhaps it was a, you had in the back of your head this isn't going to last forever, and perhaps that's a bad. I think it's a good thing because you aren't allowed to be complacent then if that is what's on if that's in the back of your mind at all times. Like this could go away, and I think that's so important is like you can't get complacent with the things you're doing, and and you know you want to be comfortable, but to a degree, not to the point where you feel like you're invincible or that you know this will last forever because you could get hit by a bus tomorrow, right? And so it's like you gotta just kind of look out for yourself and the things that you're trying to accomplish and keep pushing the envelope of what you think you're capable of. And I'm, and I'm a realist and I think staying humble is important too. Yeah, I think um, I also read like Louis C.K. Like every time he's being interviewed about something, they're like, well, you're like gonna have another HBO show. He's like, yeah, it's probably gonna fail. Like, right. He's got this like overwhelming mindset of like, just expect it all to crumble, because then when it does well, you're like, oh, cool, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm a big believer. I'll always set everything up to be the worst, so, because <laughs> like, I'll promote my own shows, you know, to do these comedy shows, and, like, I'll always go into it being like, yeah, there's only going to be, like, ten people, and this could be the most embarrassing thing, I'm not looking forward to it. And then when you get 150 or 200 people into a little, you know, a little comedy show, it's, like, the best, you yeah. know? <laughs> so, and, yeah, comedy's a great example, too. You know, you look at a guy, like, almost like, I don't know, Dane Cook, right? Remember when Dane Cook was just on top of the world? And it's just, like, that's how all of these guys are. And admittedly, you have, like, a couple years of, a couple years run, and then it kind of, you know, it kind of goes away. But, uh, you know, not to speak for him, but, you know, he still has, like, the core audience, and that's who he speaks to. Like, right. Luckily for me, like, it, not luckily, but, like, you know, I, I like the idea that my career is a slow build, and so I've never had this big where it's all kind of crashed. Yeah, like going to WWE, but in terms of like numbers of fans, you know, it wasn't like they were there watching John Cena and The Undertaker, they weren't there watching me. So I've had this great slow build, build of slowly building a fan, you know, one by one, going to each town, you know, one podcast at a time, one tweet at a time. I'm really a big believer in one at a time. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, you really, it's really, it's like you start with one, then you get two, and then three, and so forth. You don't get a thousand or a million fans overnight. Um, we've got a few minutes left here. Let's just take like a couple of quick questions. Uh, yeah, over here. If you can speak up as well. When you was in um, WWE, what was your best and worst match? When I was in WWE, what was my best and worst match? Uh, well, I lost all of my matches. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was a, a match that I lost in four minutes. <laughs> so I lasted the longest in that one against Brian Kendrick. That was my best. And my worst was uh, when I lost in 30 seconds to the great Kali, I think. <laughs> For everyone else, for reference, that's like a seven foot four dude who just like chops it over the head and that's, that's the end of it. He was in uh, the longest yard, I believe. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, yeah. <laughs> and he um, once actually killed a man in wrestling training. Really? Not to, bring, not to bring the room down here. <laughs> I was already done. <laughs> uh, any other questions? Yeah. yeah. Who's your favorite uh, wrestler of all time? Kind of like current Ross or Cody Well, I'll tell you my favorite wrestler of all time, and I know this is, you know, like no one will know who it is. But it was a wrestler named Les Kellett, and he was from the uh, 1960s. He was a British wrestler. He was a comedic wrestler, and he was uh, and he was a sixty. He was he was a wrestler who didn't get his break until he was forty years old, and he was headlining arenas at sixty years old, and uh, and he's also the funniest uh, performer I've ever seen in anything, and um, he's an inspiration to me. But he's also I love him because he's the funniest. He's so funny to watch, 
And also, he was somebody I found out of when I was in the industry, you know, so uh, about like being in the industry and then learning about other people, you know, other people in different places. And because of Les Kellett, I, that's where I, I learned a lot about comedy wrestling and I started looking into it. I started talking to people who were on shows with him, uh, you know, and, and who knew him. And that's kind of where I started integrating the comedy and the wrestling. And that's kind of where my success really started to rise a lot of that. So, um, you know, that could be golden to any kind of uh, industry, I think. And then my favorite wrestler now is, uh, I don't know, me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you had a question here. I have a question. I've uh, always wondered about this, and it makes it naive. Now, you're not really wrestling, right? I mean, you're not really... So, I mean, if you, what, do you, what do you want to know? It, it's a show. It's a show. It's a show. It's a show. It, it is predetermined. Do you practice in advance with... So I mean, there's a lot. It's a lot like magic, where you know you don't really want to come out and just tell you how it really works. Otherwise, like, what fun is that, you know? But uh, what's that? No, but I, you know, it, it's predetermined. We'll, we'll know who wins. But it's very physical. It's very physically demanding, and there is a lot of improv that goes in it. And uh, so that we do know some of the things that are going to happen in the match. But there is so much improv in there, and to be able to get to the point where you can do the improv on your feet and the crowd just thinks you're making up everything, um, it's really years and years of experience. And that's kind of when you know a performer is good. When well, You know a performer is good when you watch a wrestling show and you're just like, that was just a spur of the moment. They obviously just went in there and just did a thing and they were really good at it, you know? Um, and then some of the, the crappier ones are when you can see like, oh, that, oh, look at that punch, right? <laughs> there are times where like, He'll like completely miss what the guy's got to react. But that's also like those are the those are the younger wrestlers that need a nurturing of an audience, and that's like going to see a comedian for you know, and you could say I saw them when. That's going to see a band you know at Double Door or something and saying I saw them when. And same thing, you know, wrestlers we have those shows too where, and that's where a lot of people love the scene that I do. It's called the independent wrestling scene. Is a lot of people support this the, the the scene, and then you could say I saw them when, and you know, like a lot of my friends that I started with are now very rich, famous televised wrestlers. It's very cool. Is that we had all these you know cool shows, and now people are like, I remember when I saw him in an armory in Minnesota in front of two hundred people, or you know, or whatever. And maybe you know, I've wrestled at the Congress a million times, and. Uh, I'm just trying to think about places around here in Chicago. But even when, I mean, in your DVD, The Wrestling Road Diaries, like that was you and at the time, well, real name Brian Danielson, the WWE named Daniel Bryan, who arguably came like the most popular wrestler over a two year stretch in the last couple of years. And that was one where a lot of people were like, they saw him in WWE and they were like, is that Brian Danielson? It is. Oh man, I saw him when. Yeah. And in the documentary, we're wrestling in front of. 50 people in Cleveland and, and 40 people in Boston, and then two years later, uh, he's headlining WrestleMania in front of 80,000 people with a whole arena chanting his name. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Did you have a coach that taught you all the? I, I got trained by two people in Chicago, Six Corners, in uh, 1999. Yeah, and uh, I trained with them, and one of them is my mentor to this day, and the other one went to jail for selling steroids. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, just to add to your question there, uh, in terms of like predetermined or what's staged about it, you had a match called where a dude poured Drano right down your throat. How are you with us today? Yeah, that's, you know, people still ask me, and like that's the point of wrestling. 
It's like people were really like, well, I know it's new, but like that was real, right? Yeah. And that's the greatest part about wrestling. And that's like what we work for as performers is like is to uh, suspend your your belief. And like if we can get you for a second to be like, well, it's all fixed, but that was real, right? Yeah. Like that's that's, that's part of the job, part of the art. Yeah. I think it's ironic. Oh, maybe. It's Maybe it's not ironic. The guy's name is Homicide. Yeah, he pours drink down your throat. If it was fitting. <laughs> All right. So before we wrap up, then obviously, Cole, everyone's heard a lot about what you're involved in and everything. But if you just want to briefly tell them, like, about your podcast, uh, where they can find you and what you're working on right now. Yeah. Listen. Go home, take two seconds. Go to ColeCabana.com and you know, kind of see what I'm up to at ColeCabana on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I have like. I have YouTube series uh, that I do where um, you don't really have to be like the good thing about me is like I'm I'm the guys the guy who loves wrestlings that drags his girlfriend to the show and they're like ugh I hate wrestling and then they're like oh I love Cole Cabana though yeah. like that's my career so like you don't have to love wrestling to enjoy me as a performer and artist and. Um, the movies are, it's all available. You can find it all at coldcommander.com. Awesome. Yeah. So then to wrap up the way we close out our show is we'll go one by one, starting with Martin, finishing with Colt. Uh, based on the conversation, giving what we believe we've come to is our respective answer for this episode's question, which is, how do you find your niche, Martin? So I think, um, I, I love the, the piece that we brought up about um, comedy and, and being humble and Basically, one of the things that I've learned from doing uh, improv I'm in level four at I.O. right now is that every time you get up there, it's, you don't know if you're going to be funny. Like, you could have been funny 10 minutes ago and you're, you could be the worst person uh, on that stage uh, in this moment. And um, just constantly pushing yourself to um, try, even if, it, if, even if you fail, like just constantly trying and trying and trying in order to improve yourself, that is going to um, lead you down the path to finding your real interests, finding the things that you're good at, and then ultimately finding the niche that you should be a part of. Because um, I went and tried stand-up, and I was like, wow, everyone here is super negative, and this is not the way that I think. And then I went to improv, and everyone was so happy, and like so excited to be there. And I was like, this is my, these are my people. And if you just keep pushing, instead of saying, oh no, that was scary, I'm done, you will find the people that you're supposed to be around. My answer for how do you find your niche, along those lines, um, embrace the process. Uh, I think too often we're married to one particular goal, and we think that goal is supposed to happen like tomorrow, and if it doesn't happen, we just kind of give up. But if you embrace the process, then you will, you will naturally find your niche within that. Cole, how do you find your niche? I think we answered it when we said, uh, don't go to school. <laughs> there you go. Go to Pinterest, you learn everything you need. Well, thank you guys. Uh, again, we are, Martin and I are at DLMN. This was a live episode of the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to put your email on the computer I passed around, hopefully it did not get stolen. Uh, dude, that would be sweet. We got it over here. Uh, thank you again to Cole Cabana for joining us. Lemon.com, and uh, we'll also send out a recording of this episode uh, next week. So, thanks for joining us. I believe now, Brad, we've got a little Tech Week kickoff party.